Amen. Well, I want to welcome you all this morning to Redemption Hill Church. If I haven't got a chance to meet you yet, my name is J.D. Summers. I serve as pastor here, and we greet all of you and are glad you're here. To those who are watching with us at home today, uh, we extend our greetings and our love to you as well, and we trust that um, as your hearts are united with ours in worship, we hope that you will be stirred uh, to worship Christ and to receive his word as we are doing here as well. Uh, we've been going through the book of Exodus over the last several months, but today we're going to depart from that, and we have the chance to hear from someone else open God's word to us this morning. Uh, I get the chance and the privilege of introducing you to someone uh, who's not only my father, biologically speaking, but he's also my father in the faith. Uh, my dad is going to be preaching today. He's the one who led me to the Lord and who showed me what it looks like to be a godly man, to love a wife, to love children, and to love the church. And throughout the last 32 years of ministry uh, there in Olathe, uh, he has loved the church by opening God's word. And if you know my dad, uh, then you know this, but if you don't know him, um, what you need to know about the ministry there is that it's been built not on the power of a personality, not on a certain model. It's been built on the word. It's the word that is central in preaching. It's the word that's central in counseling. It's the word that's central in every aspect of ministry. And so what you're going to hear this morning is the word just from someone else. So I trust that you will have an open heart and an open Bible. I'm going to ask my dad if he would come and preach to us this morning. Thanks, well, uh, it is a great privilege uh, to be with you this morning and to um, worship God together. And I see some familiar faces. Uh, some of you I've had the privilege of meeting before. You've been at uh, Redemption Hill in Lawrence for a few years. Um, I see many of you who came over to help plant the church just six years ago from our church. And it's good to see you again. And then I see some others who have been around for um, maybe just this last year that I haven't had the opportunity to meet. So I just want to say hi. Um, how are you? It's good. I'm so encouraged uh, with what God is doing here at Redemption Hill. Um, I'm encouraged with your commitment to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm encouraged with your love for him. And for the preeminence that he has in your church and in your life. I'm encouraged with your hunger to grow and mature in your understanding of God's word. And I'm encouraged by the people that God is adding to your body. And I am encouraged that you are considering adding Stephen Parkin as an elder to help shepherd this church. I want to invite you to take your Bible and open it, whether it's in printed form or if it's in electronic form, to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. We've been currently going through um, the book of Acts on during our Sunday morning gatherings at the church where I pastor and... Um, we were in Acts chapter 20 a few weeks ago, and uh, J.D. had said, Dad, would you be available to come and preach at our church? We're installing or voting to um, install Stephen Parkin on Easter Sunday. And um, I said, yeah, absolutely. Um, I have a passage I think that would be helpful uh, for that. 
I love the book of Acts. Um, in the book of Acts, Luke, who is the author, the writer, shows how the church began in Jerusalem with just a handful of Jewish believers. He then demonstrates how through the gospel, the church extended all throughout the Roman Empire in just 20 some odd years. Chapter 20, where we find ourselves today, begins with the Apostle Paul concluding what would be his third missionary journey in just 10 years on three different missionary journeys. Paul has traveled nearly 13,000 miles planting churches in what is now Turkey and Greece. So he's now on his way to Jerusalem with this large love offering that he has collected from the churches he planted, and he's taking it to Jerusalem to assist the believers who are struggling there. These will be Paul's final weeks as a free man on this earth. In every place he has been, God has shown him that when he gets to Jerusalem, suffering and chains await him. What Paul doesn't know is that not only will he be arrested in Jerusalem, but he will be imprisoned for two years in Caesarea and then will be taken to Rome where he will be executed for the sake of the gospel. So as Paul is making his way from Europe to Jerusalem, the boat that he is on stops at a place called Miletus. And Paul used this opportunity to call for the elders of the church at Ephesus to come and meet with him there. He knew these men well. He had led them to Christ. He had discipled them in the faith for three years. The apostle Paul was their spiritual father. And since he knew that he would never see them again, He wanted to encourage them in their ministries as pastors. So in verses 18 through 27, Paul reminded them of what they had seen in his ministry as an apostle. And then in verses 28 through 35, our passage for this morning, Paul exhorted them about their ministries as pastors. I think it's difficult for people who are unfamiliar with the details and nuances of pastoral ministry to fully appreciate what it actually involves. In a survey about what church members expected from their pastors, members were polled on the minimum amount of time they thought their pastors should give each week to various areas of ministry. This included Areas such as prayer and sermon prep and evangelism and counseling and administrative tasks and visiting and church meetings and worship services, etc. And according to the survey, the minimum amount of time that pastors were expected to give to ministry on average was 114 hours per week. Unsustainable. A lot of people think pastors only work one day a week, and that's just for a couple of hours. What I really appreciate about Acts 20, verses 28 through 35, is that Paul actually lays out what a church should expect from its pastors. I invite you to follow along as 
I read this passage, Acts 20, 28 through 35. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, From these verses, I would like to draw your attention this morning to four things that you should expect from your pastors. What are they? First, you should expect your pastors to maintain integrity. You should expect your pastors to maintain a life of personal integrity. Because of the high calling from God, the life of a pastor must reflect the kind of integrity that reflects the Lord Jesus Christ. As Paul exhorts the Ephesian elders to be faithful in their ministries, I think it's significant that he first instructs them to give attention to their own personal lives. Notice how verse 28 begins. Paul tells these elders to pay careful attention to yourselves. Pay careful Attention to yourselves. This opening exhortation is a call for pastors to be on guard for things that can subtly creep into their hearts and take their lives captive. The phrase, to pay careful attention, is actually a present active imperative verb. Literally, Paul is saying here, men continually pay careful attention always to guard yourselves. This is an urgent call for the elders to stand guard over their own souls and to maintain godly character. 
Because pastors are responsible for leading others, maintaining Christ-like character is imperative, and you must expect that. If a pastor fails in this, then his ministry is over. We live in a day today that um, celebrates the, the celebrity pastor, pastors who are more like CEOs of a company than servants of Christ. And we are all familiar with celebrity pastors who fell into scandal. But please understand, it's not just the Carl Lentzes and the Ravi Zacharias's and the Jerry Johnsons, pastors in smaller churches just like this one have also failed to keep watch over themselves. No pastor has ever fallen simply because of engaging in some disqualifying sin. Long before his sin ever became public, there was an unguarded heart where the seeds of sin were allowed to germinate undetected in private. And often those sins germinated undetected by others for years. 32 years ago, when I started out as a a pastor, my grandmother warned me of two areas where pastors tend to get in trouble. And she said to me, Mike, keep your hands off the money and keep your hands off the women. I think that was really good advice. However, because the issue is always an issue of the heart, a pastor must be careful to keep his heart off the money and to keep his heart off the women. You should expect your pastors to keep a close watch over their lives so that it accurately reflects the heart of Jesus Christ. Paul told a young pastor named Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. In other words, Paul is saying, listen, Timothy, you must persist in keeping a close watch on yourself so that who you are personally will always be consistent with what you teach publicly. If you do this, Timothy, you will protect yourself and those to whom you minister. There are several dangers that pastors face, but I believe the greatest and the most deadly is pride. Pride is what leads a man to shift his focus from Christ to himself and to his ministry. When this happens, a pastor can become infatuated with his role and he can develop an unholy sense of self-importance. This causes him to find his identity in what he does for Christ rather than who he is in Christ. He depends on his his giftedness from God rather than depending on his God. And he robs God of his glory by taking credit for the things that God does. Pride can cause a pastor to measure success in terms of ministry results rather than faithfulness to his Lord and to 
Scripture. You see, a pastor who does not shepherd his own heart may actually be successful in the way the world views success. However, his ministry before God may be a colossal failure because, as James says, God resists whom? The proud. The pastor is to pay careful attention to himself because he's called to be an example of Christ-likeness that you as a church are called by God to actually follow. Hebrews 13.7 calls you to remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Notice this. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. In other words, you should expect your pastors to have the kind of faith that you can imitate and by imitating would be following Jesus. You should expect the outcome of their way of life to to look like Jesus Christ. You see, your call to imitate their faith means that an elder's personal life should be under the magnifying glass of scrutiny, not the kind of scrutiny that's critical or fault-finding, The Lord knows that pastors get enough of that. But the kind of scrutiny that expects a pastor to reflect Jesus Christ in his life. In other words, you should expect your pastor's character to be worthy of your respect. This is what Paul said to the church in Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13, Paul writes, we ask you, brothers, to... Respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. You see, elders must pay careful attention to themselves because the high calling they have is from God. Notice in Titus 1, verses 6 through 9, the kind of character Paul told Titus to look for and those whom he appointed as elders. The main quality in this section is that he is above reproach. This is expected in his family. Paul says, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers, better, his children are faithful and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. But notice this is also expected in his personal life. Paul says, an elder as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. And notice this is also expected in his ministry. Paul continues, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. High standards that you should expect your pastors meet. Satan can do maximum damage to your church by corrupting its spiritual leaders. We know that the body definitely suffers when a member fails because of sin. However, when one of its leaders fails, it can devastate the church. 
Expect your pastors to maintain integrity. And if they don't, then you should get rid of them. But there's a second thing at the end of verse 28 you should expect from your pastors. You should expect your pastors to humbly shepherd. You should expect your pastors to humbly shepherd. So pastors are not only to pay careful attention to themselves. Paul says they are to pay careful attention to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. The word flock here literally refers to a flock of sheep, but it is applied figuratively to the community of believers in a particular church. As such, you are a flock of God. And so your elders are to pay careful attention to you. Well, how do they do that? By how they spiritually shepherd you. The word care that Paul uses describes the care of shepherding. You should expect your pastors to humbly feed and lead you with God's word because that is what they have been given by Christ to the church to do. Notice that men don't become elders because they are popular or because they are successful or because they are wealthy. They serve in this role because, Paul says, the Holy Spirit made them overseers. While a church may call a man to serve as an elder, it is not the church that makes him an elder. That is what the Holy Spirit does. A church simply recognizes God's calling and gifting of that man. You need to be aware of self-appointed leaders who have not been made overseers by the Holy Spirit. The fact that elders are overseers means that they are the spiritual leaders who are tasked with caring for the church through faithful teaching and preaching of God's word. By faithfully caring for the church in this way, it is actually God himself who leads the church through the word that he has inspired. That's why in 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2, Paul told a young pastor named Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Okay, so what's the charge? Notice verse 2. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Listen, you should expect your pastors to care for your church by faithfully and patiently teaching you the word of God. This is the kind of pastoral care that doesn't drive God's flock. It's the kind of care that humbly leads God's flock. Why? Because as Paul says, the church is the flock of God that belongs to him. Look again at verse 28. It says, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. You see, your pastors are merely under shepherds of the great and the good shepherd who gave his life for the sheep. The church doesn't belong to you, and the church doesn't belong to your pastors. The church belongs to God because he obtained it with his own blood. 
Now notice the kind of humble oversight that your shepherds are to provide in 1 Peter 5, verses 2 and 3. Peter writes, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. See, your pastors are to care for the church willingly and sacrificially and humbly as the kind of spiritual examples that you can follow. Did you realize that since your pastors are charged with keeping watch over your souls, that they will actually give an account for how they cared for you? Not so much an accounting to you, but an accounting to God. This is why God calls you to submit to them. Hebrews 13, 7 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Listen, as a person in this church, do not be the kind of person who causes your pastors to groan because you stubbornly resist and are defiant to God and his word. Be the kind of person that your pastors can find joy in shepherding because you're tender to God's word. You're responsive to God. Yes, your pastors will give an account for the souls that they have been charged to watch, but you will give an account for how you respond to their shepherding. So what should you expect from your pastors? What should you expect from J.D.? And if confirmed from Stephen Parkin, you should expect them to maintain integrity and you should expect them to humbly shepherd. Third, in verses 29 through 31, we see that you should also expect your pastors to protect the church. You should expect them to protect the church. Now, in these verses, Paul gives a sober warning as to why pastors are to protect the church they shepherd. Look at what he says. Verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Listen. Your church needs protection because of the impending danger from those who would come in and attempt to do spiritual harm to the church. Paul describes those who threaten the church as fierce wolves. These wolves aren't a a physical threat. No, the threat that they pose to the church is spiritual. They come into the church with ideologies and philosophies which have a catastrophic, catastrophic effect spiritually on the unsuspecting in the church. They prey on the unsuspecting. They prey on the naive. Now notice that the fierce wolves, Paul says, will not spare the flock. You see, they don't care about the spiritual well-being of the flock. They 
care about using the church for their own selfish purposes. They don't care who they hurt in the process. And this danger is particularly insidious because it is so deceptive. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 15, that these wolves, as they come in, will not be noticed because they're going to come in disguised as sheep. Jesus said, Matthew 7, 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You see, the ravenous wolves blend in with the flock because they appear to be sheep. But while they may look like sheep, they don't come into the church to be led or to be fed with the sheep. They come into the church to use and consume the sheep. So you should expect your pastors to protect this flock by identifying any pretenders who come into the church masquerading as sheep to devour you. But notice that the danger is not just from wolves who come into the church. Those who are already in the church can become a threat when they begin drawing disciples away from Christ to themselves. Look again at verse 30. Paul says, and from among your own selves. Now, he's either speaking here about this group of elders, if it's the case. And he's saying, even elders from among you will arise. Or he's referring to from among your own selves as a congregation. He says, from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. See, pastors are given to protect the church, not threaten the church. But when they begin to speak twisted things, they become a serious danger. In other words, when, when pastors stray from teaching the plain truth of God's word, they end up twisting and distorting truth by introducing error. This is why you don't lay hands suddenly on potential elders. It's why you take the time to prove their character and to test their doctrine. There should be years of discipleship in the church before you call an elder so that a proven track record of humility and doctrinal clarity is demonstrated. You see, you as the church need to be certain that his heart is for the church and not just for his own following. Because notice why Paul says that a man would want to speak twisted things. It comes from the sinful motivation to build a following by drawing away the disciples to follow them. So their motivation is to build a personal following. And the means they use to do it is to twist and distort the truth. But in 2 Peter 2.1, Peter says that this will all be subtle and secretive and almost undetectable. He says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. What will they do? Who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destructions. You see, false teachers don't openly bring destructive heresies into the church. They don't 
They don't have a class announcing, come today to hear some false teaching. No, they bring what is false into the church secretly. It's subtle. It's It's like a chameleon. They appear to teach what is true, but they gradually move away from teaching scripture and they begin to introduce their own ideas. And by doing this, they cast doubt on the sufficiency of scripture and the door to outside approaches to dealing with spiritual issues are introduced. We see this today as modern psychology and even more recently critical race theory have made their way into the church and are in some circles fixtures. But these novel and unbiblical approaches to spiritual things can actually be appealing to the undiscerning in the church. Second Peter 2, verses 2 and 3 says that their, that their man-centered ideas are actually popular and that many want to follow them. Look at what it says. And many, it says, will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of the truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. See, shepherds are to protect the church from those who attempt to draw disciples away to follow them by exploiting the body with false words. You know, you may scratch your head and wonder how anybody in the church would be so naive to follow somebody who moves away from sound doctrine. But one reason is because people today have an aversion to doctrine. It's not what they want. They like it when Scripture affirms and when Scripture encourages, but it's another story when the Scripture rebukes or when the Scripture reproves. They aren't interested in what God has to say about their sin or living a life that is consecrated to Him. And so they often find the straightforward teaching of Scripture to actually be offensive Paul warned Timothy that a time would come when people would actually go out looking for teachers who will give them what they want. He said in 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. The word teaching there is doctrine. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. You should expect your pastors to protect this church by faithfully proclaiming what God says and not what people want. Pastors are called not to be entertaining, not to be popular, not to be funny. They are called to preach the word of God. This is what protects the church from ravenous wolves who would devour the flock. Because pastors are to protect the church, notice back in Acts 20, 31, that Paul exhorted the elders to be alert. He says, therefore, be alert. Because of everything that I've just said, be alert. Remembering that for three years, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. See, during Paul's ministry in Ephesus, he consistently admonished not only these elders, but the entire church for three years to be alert to the dangers of false teaching. But his admonition was not harsh. It was not mean-spirited. He admonished them, he says, with tears because he loved them. You should expect your pastors 
to demonstrate a sincere love for you by protecting you with the biblical admonition that comes through the faithful teaching of Scripture. So expect them to maintain integrity. Expect your pastors to humbly shepherd. Expect them to protect the church. And finally, expect your pastors to grow. Expect them to grow spiritually. You see, a shepherd's ministry of caring for the flock through his preaching and his teaching and his discipling should be the overflow of his own spiritual growth. This is not a job for them. In other words, you should expect your pastor's walk with Christ to be vibrant and to be fresh. And the means of his spiritual growth, it's through the ministry of the word to his own heart. See, Paul was leaving these pastors. He knew he'd never see them again, but he was confident that everything they needed to grow personally and to faithfully shepherd the church was found in the word of God's grace. Notice what Paul says as he commends them to the sufficient word of God, verses 32 and 33. He says, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I love the fact that Paul here commends these elders to God and to the word of his grace. Why? Because it's the word of God that is the instrument of the grace of God that's used to build and mature followers of Christ. See, a pastor who is in the word just to have something to say to you on Sunday is not a growing pastor. In time, his ministry will become nothing more than just a stale performance. You don't want that, and I know they don't want that. You should expect your pastors to be in the word so that they grow spiritually by being built up in the faith. A pastor who's continually filled with the word of God will carry out the work of God and the power of the spirit of God for the glory of God. In verses 33 through 35, Paul again turns to his own example and he illustrates the result of spiritual growth and the result of that is personal character and he highlights two aspects of character that's necessary for those who shepherd. First, there should be a contentment with God's provision. It should be in contentment with God's provision. Because pastors are financially supported by those to whom they minister, contentment with God's provision is an absolute must. Without having a contentment with God's provision, a pastor could be tempted to become covetousness of those within the church who are prospering, and he could become tempted to resent where God has him in his life. One of the qualifications of an elder, according to 1 Timothy 3, verse 3, is that he's not a lover of money. And as we saw earlier in Titus chapter 1-7, he's not greedy for gain. So as an apostle with limited financial resources, Paul was able to say in verse 33, notice, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Paul could say this because he was perfectly content with where God had him in his life. God's provision was enough. He said in Philippians 4, verses 11 and 12, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And he's writing, by the way, from a Roman prison. He says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. See, pastors are to model what it means to be content with little or what it means to be content with much. But notice that not only should there be contentment with God's provision, the second character is that 
There should be generosity with what God provides. See, as an apostle, Paul received intermittent support from the churches he planted. However, the primary means of support as an itinerant apostle was making tents. He worked with his hands. God provided for Paul in this way so that Paul could take care of the needs of those who served with him and those that he served. Look at verses 34 and 35. He says, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I love the fact that Paul was an example of of working hard and giving much. That's what he did. He generously gave to those who served with him, and he generously gave to those he served. Because Paul understood that there was a greater blessing in giving than there was in receiving. This should be the kind of character you expect from your pastors. Like you, they too should be content with what God provides and then be generous with that provision. For the past six years, uh, J.D. has been the only pastor of this church. And he has proven to be a faithful pastor. I can say this, you as a church are blessed to have a shepherd who exemplifies what scripture calls for in a pastor. We certainly felt that way when we sent him to Redemption Hill or sent him to Lawrence to plant Redemption Hill and would be really content if he were back at our church in Overland Park. But we're thrilled that God has him here. Next week, you have the opportunity to recognize God's calling of Stephen Parkin as an elder of this church. He, too, has proven himself faithful. He was faithful for years at the church where I pastor, and he's proven himself faithful here for the past six years. He has spent a lot of time with J.D., and I'm confident that in the future, God will raise up more faithful elders from this church to help shoulder the responsibility of shepherding. So what should you look for and what should you expect from these men? You should expect them to maintain integrity in their own lives personally. You should expect them to humbly shepherd the flock. You should expect them to protect your church from spiritual danger. And you should expect them to keep growing spiritually in Christ. Listen, God loves his church because, as Paul said, it is the church that he purchased with his own blood. Listen, if you have been purchased by the blood of Christ, then you should love what God loves. And if God loves the church, you should love the church. So live for him and worship him and serve him and submit yourself to him by being part of the body of Christ, a local body of Christ. Listen, if you are not a follower of Jesus, if you don't know him, can I just tell you that you are someone who stands guilty before a holy God and that you have a debt that you cannot possibly pay? Nothing you can do will ever remove you from the judgment that you deserve. 
That's the bad news. But listen, here's some really, really good news. God sent his son to live the life that you cannot live. And he willingly went to the cross and shed his blood to pay the debt and to purchase sinners like me and you. He is the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. John 10, 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And Jesus did. Jesus did. And the proof of that you'll be celebrating next week. He's risen. Will you turn from everything that you're clinging to today and trust in him alone to save you? Salvation is the free gift of eternal life, but you need to understand it is a gift that you must receive by faith. So call on the good and the great shepherd right now to rescue you. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Father, thank you for the opportunity we've had to worship you this morning. It was great to sing, to lift our voices up in unison to the great God who has given his life for the sheep. It's been good to consider these things and for where Redemption Hill Church is at this juncture in their history. I pray that you would guide them as they vote next week to confirm Stephen and to recognize your calling in his life. And I pray that you would protect this church and that you would help them to experience the security of sticking true to the word of God and letting it guide and lead in their lives. We love you and we're delighted to follow you as your beloved children. For those who do not know you, um, reach into their hearts today and do a work that will have eternal results for your glory. Amen.